0: Welcome to a new series of the Dissidents Podcast with your co-hosts, Jennifer Richmond and Brandy Shuvatinsky. In this series, we explore the radical roots of liberated ethnic studies, how extreme ideology is infiltrating our schools and the aim to indoctrinate instead of educate, and our search for solutions to empower parents, teachers, and students, giving them the tools to embrace inquiry and to express their individuality. Hi, welcome to another edition of the series of Dissidents podcast that we are calling the Radical Roots of Ethnic Studies with your co-hosts me, Jennifer Richmond, and Brandy Shufatinsky. And today we have David Smolansky with us. And if for some of you who might be following some of our work, David was part of our live stream, and we'll link to that in the podcast notes. David has got a fascinating backstory. We know David because he has been a witness for the victims of communism uh, memorial foundation i said fun one time and i got corrected it's memorial foundation but he's also a governor in exile but his story from venezuela but your story starts david even before your your time in venezuela so i'm just gonna like let's lead with your story why you're here in america and then we'll get into some of the stuff that we see happening in america and where you might stand on that
1: well thank you so much jennifer for uh uh, inviting me also, Randy. Uh, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's it's uh, it's it's great to be here. Um, well, I am a Venezuelan. Uh, as you said, uh, I, I've been living in exile in the U.S. uh, since uh, 2017, already six years. Uh, I'm, I'm very, I'm very grateful with, with this country, I have to say, that uh, has opened uh, its uh, its doors. A, a, to be here, but of course it has not been easy. Um, I started in politics uh, very young, actually, when I was a student of journalism. And the regime, Venezuela's regime, that is, uh has been in power for almost 25 years. Um, and they, when I was a student, <clears throat> they shut down the, the oldest and most viewed TV station in my country. Uh, the name is... Uh, uh, RCTV, Radio Caracas Television, um, from one day to another. Imagine like a TV networks as, uh, I don't know, CBS or ABC or NBC from one day to another is shut down here in the U.S. and no one can watch it anymore. So that happened when I was a student of journalism and and I was one of the co-founders and uh, of the student movement uh, that went to the streets. That was a long time ago, 16 years ago. Uh, uh, to lead non nonviolent protests, uh, asking to respect our our human rights, more specifically our freedom of of, of, of expression, and, and I'm and I'm going to to that episode in my life because even though I was always very involved in what was going on in my country and very interested, probably because of the background of of, of my family, definitely that episode uh, accelerated. Uh, my my involvement in politics and more specifically on the public uh, service actually after i finished um, um uh, college as a, a, a as a, a student you know, of journalism i co-founded a political party uh its name is uh in spanish voluntad popular in english would be like people's will and then i i i ran for mayor of latino district which was the district that i always uh, lived that i grew up and I became the youngest uh, mayor of of, of Venezuela. Uh, and, and in that moment was uh, a very challenging. We were able to reduce um, kidnapping more than 80%. And I, I am I'm very specific with kidnapping because um, El Atillo used to be the uh, district of Venezuela with the highest kidnapping rate per capita in Venezuela, one of the highest in Latin America. We are able to decrease that for more than 80%. And also we were recognized for tackling corruption and being one of the most uh, transparent local governments in, in Venezuela. But at the same time, I was very outspoken against the regime because we were under a dictatorship, a dictatorship that uh, imprisoned uh, many political activists, that imprisoned a, a, a journalists that forced to exile, many people uh, that we were suffering and uh, still suffering for shortages of food, medicine, the highest inflation in the world. So I, I also w- was involved in, very, in, in a lot of protests in 2014, in 2016, 2017, and because of those pro- protests that I was also one of the co-leaders because there were also other people that were calling for those protests um, and participated. And, and I called for those pro- protests. The regime with with uh, uh, illegally uh, removed me from office. Uh, I'm still under arrest warrant. I'm basically now in a position of of, of stateless. For example, I cannot even renew my passport. Uh, and and well, I was forced to flee my country after being 35 days in hiding, and now I'm here in the U.S. Uh, so I've been work. I have worked for five years in international organizations, same Organization of American States where it was a special envoy of the Secretary General to address the Venezuela migration refugee crisis. Not many people know that this crisis has become the largest in the world with Ukraine, uh, but with the difference that Ukraine has been invaded, as all as we all know by Russia, since last year in Venezuela, with no having a conventional war, a natural catastrophe, we have had uh, we have almost 8 million people uh, overseas that have been forced to flee, even surpassing Syria. Uh, so uh, I... I work, I, I, and I'm not working on that position anymore, but for, for five years I advocated for policies to protect them, to integrate, but at the same time, to the root cause. Because many people like to talk about the root cause of migrants, and it's easy to say corruption, violence. The root cause for Venezuelans is very, very clear. is the dictatorship. It is a system that not does not garant, doesn't guarantee, has not guaranteed for years our liberties, uh, our human rights, our civil rights, our, the most basic uh, services like uh, water, electricity, uh, food, uh, medicine. And that is why so many people uh, have fled to different countries. And in the case of the U.S. has increased a lot during the last two years. So sorry if I took too much uh, on this first, uh, the first question, but uh, well, that's, that's a little bit uh, of my, of my story. And I'm and, um, and I'm very happy uh, once again to be at this podcast. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful because for me to be in this type of uh, interviews is always an opportunity not to talk about me, but to talk about my country, especially to talk about Venezuelans who have been through so much for a quarter of a century.
0: So, David, you your, your story in Venezuela is very powerful. And actually, I did not realize how much... Uh, how many refugees venezuela has had particularly the, in the last three years as you mentioned and i have to correct myself too i i said uh governor in exile i meant to say mayor in exile so my yes. apologies there but no your way. your story didn't just start in venezuela your story started even before with communism in general started even before venezuela can you give us a little background too of your other experiences
1: <clears throat> yes well basically my family right uh, which was my uh, inspiration uh My grandparents uh, were uh, from Ukraine. Uh, My my grandfather was born in Kiev, and my my grandmom was born in a little town, its name is Kovel, that during the Soviet Union was part of Poland, but after the Soviet Union fell, now that tiny city is also part of Ukraine. So um, the late 20s, when when both were uh, teenagers, they fled uh, the Soviet Union, my a great, uh, if I if I'm sorry. Well, my great grandfather, you see it in English, sorry. So the, the father of my grandmother, sorry, sometimes of my English, um, <laughs> uh, had a lumber had, had a lumber mill that the Soviets expropriated, um, and he was illegally detained, uh, and when he when he was released, well, he was very ill until he until he died. Uh, so um, they fled. The Soviet Union, of course, during that time, it was in a very long, long, long journey on in, in a ship. And they arrived to Cuba. As I said, both were teenagers, so so they didn't they didn't know each other. They met in Cuba and they were married in Cuba. And uh, my father was born in Cuba. Um uh, for them they they I mean, it even though it was very hard to 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 leave their homeland they were able to reinvent themselves and um, they were having a, I would say a quality of life in cuba my grandfather used to have a, a textile company uh, his name is la garantia the guarantee and um, so my father was born in cuba and well another communist uh, revolution happened In this this case, the uh, Fidel Castro revolution. And well, again, my family lost everything. Uh, The the textile industry was uh, expropriated by by Cuban regime. Um, Basically, during the 1960s were tough years for my family because they couldn't do anything. Uh, And it was until 1970 that they were able to it flee Cuba, and well, they landed in Venezuela, and then now you listen to, to my story. So I have always said uh, that since this happened to me, that we are three generations on three different countries in one century, victims of the same perverse system, which is uh, communism, that are now uh, Chavez used to call Maduro socialism of the twenty first century. Well, the socialism of the 21st century is the same thing as the communism of the of the 20th um, century. So we have we have had to invent reinvent our ourselves. Uh, well, uh, uh, during this during this uh, century. So any time that I have the opportunity to share this, I do it. Sometimes you need to understand that it's not uh, something easy for me. Because of course, is is uh, tough for a family. For example, my grandparents uh, eh, they don't live anymore. I mean, they they well, they died uh, uh, a a bit more than thirty years ago. They they died when it was very very when it was a child, basically. Uh, my parents are still in Venezuela, so they are sometimes uh, having you know threats or 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 or. Difficult moments with, with the regime and with the situation over there, but uh, I think that history of my family it is a, an inspiration for me to keep working for not only Venezuela, but I think for, for uh, any in the world that, you know, uh, is fighting as well for democracy, for freedom, for rule of law, and for, you know, any, any every, every liberty. Yeah. Um-
2: Hi, David. Thank you so much for sharing. I think that um, it gets missed a lot what you said, how difficult it is to share uh, so much of the hardships and, and struggles. And while I'm grateful that you are, I also want to acknowledge that I know I, I can only imagine how difficult it is, because not just your grandparents, your parents and your experience, but then also probably the desire to be able to return home one day and see, you know, your country of birth thriving and not under dictatorship. I, I do want to ask a little bit what, how do you see or maybe you can explain a little bit a different reaction you may have versus someone else who hasn't had the same experience or doesn't have family members that have had the same experiences when you see in here. Um, Maybe um maybe this is more of a question. Similar rhetoric being spouted, like socialism is 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 a positive thing when you've had such a, a different experience with it, and your parents and grandparents have.
1: I don't think there is any positive that you can take from from the socialism of the twenty first century, to the communism of the twentieth century. First of all, this is a very perverse and cruel system that have caused. Millions of people uh, dead. Uh, millions of people suffering from from starvation. We're seeing now in Venezuela, according to the World Food Program, nine point three million Venezuelans are suffering from starvation. Uh, that's one third of the population, and that is only compared with countries that has been through uh, civil wars or any other type of war. So it's only compared with, for example, Afghanistan or the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, and we we saw last century the. Olomodor episode uh, in, in Ukraine, right? And that was, of course, a consequence of the Soviet regime. And also we saw, uh, we have seen in Cuba for many decades uh, how desperate it has to be a person to take a, a fish boat and, and try to get to Miami with all the danger that has that ocean where many people have not been able to 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 land to Miami because they have been literally eaten by by sharks. So um, there's, there's nothing good on, on that type of system because they don't believe on individual liberties. Actually, it goes beyond that they don't believe in, 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 in individual liberties. They deny, they intentionally deny the individual liberties. And when I say individual liberties, I mean, and please correct me sometimes if my English is not that good, is the, your civil rights, your political rights, your human rights your economic rights as well this is this is something that they are uh, obsessed with it they they don't they don't believe on on a person that after years of work you can have a house you can provide a good education to your family Uh, they don't believe in those things i always say that uh chavez uh, I, uh, Chavez always said, and I, of course he's he's dead, but he he used to say, no, we want to make uh, 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 social justice and we want to make everyone equal in Venezuela. Congratulations, you achieve it. You make that 90% of our population is poor, extreme poor. So you if, if that equality is that everyone goes poor, not that the ones who are in 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 a, in a living in a poor condition or extreme poor condition could, you know, uh, uh, sort uh, so, surpass that that uh, that condition and and and, and live better. Uh, so so I, I don't I don't think anything good could come from communism or socialism of, of the twenty first century. And I, and I think when people talk uh, so lightly about this type of uh, system or ideology—they are playing with fire. They are playing with fire. I have, I have, I have to say, probably this is the first time I say this publicly. I have met some people here that I, that are, you know, advocating for that type of system. Uh, not only in the U.S., but all the parts and say you are playing with fire. You don't know what you have. Don't take, don't take what you have for granted because that happened in Venezuela. I have to say, Venezuela during the second half of the 20th century was one of the most stable and prosperous democracies, not only Latin America, I would say in the world. And and some academics uh, agree with me when I say this. Venezuela used to have the fourth uh, highest uh, GDP uh, per capita in the world, only compared with countries like the US, Switzerland, right? And all of that is now lost. So you cannot take democracy for granted. You cannot take freedom for granted. You don't, you don't cannot take solid institution for granted. You cannot take rule of law for granted. Democracy is perfect? No, it is not perfect. Uh, capitalism is perfect? No, it is not perfect. Of course, there are always opportunities to improve. But what, is, what, is, what, is, what, 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 what I'm sure that is that, 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 that the, the socialism of, uh, of the 21st century and communism in the 21st century are perverse are cruel and, and they cause, as I said, uh, people suffering from, from food insecurity. Uh, they don't, they don't guarantee your private property and probably the most difficult thing when you, when you face this type of, of, of systems is the, the separation of the family. And you have heard my story. The family is separated and, and time and time doesn't go back time doesn't go back so my 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 parents are getting every year older and i'm not i'm not uh with them and that's the most perverse thing
0: I think that's one of the things that you know, Brandy and I have been looking at with regards to ethnic studies not just the promotion of neo marxist ideals and, and socialism but I think we've seen ethnic studies aside just in general education there's this trend of of kind of breaking up the family of keeping things from the family of keeping parents outside of the educational aspects and sphere of their
2: their students Brandy would you would you agree with that too yeah, I mean, that's something that that um I think you're right, Jen. we've recognized there's this like purposeful chasm being driven between parents and their kids. And one of the main drivers of that has been a lot of um educators and 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 activists that are pushing that like it's a good thing, though. And I you know, I think that we commonly hear from people who've suffered under the oppression of communism. Um, of the 20th century or socialism of the 21st century as you said uh, we hear from them you know kind of cautionary tales about it but everyone else who really doesn't have a direct experience with it seems to think that all of what we say and the caution cautionary tales that you tell and, and your colleagues tell uh, uh david are kind of crying wolf or or oh but this isn't that and and we look at it and it's yes. like a- if it's not a carbon copy, it's a really close twin.
1: Totally, totally. And for example, and many people actually that even opposed Chavez when he uh, came to power in 1999, they said, no, this is not Cuba. So because you have also the people who oppose this this type of system, but underestimate, underestimate, right? Which is also very important to work here in the U.S. and other parts. Not only the ones who promote it, but also the ones who say, no, you know, this is this is not Cuba as it happened to Venezuela. I I remember especially the generation of my parents or grandparents, this is not this is not Cuba. We have oil, you know, we're a rich country, we have a democratic history. For more than 40 years, we have had democracy. This guy cannot change this from one day to another. And now, after twenty five years, well, I have I have explained a little bit, because I could stay here a long hours and hours explaining all the challenges that Venezuela has. So you have the that, that people that sometimes is overconfident that I have everything control. And then of course, you have people that advocate for this type of system that they say, no, this is different. In Cuba, they, they don't respect the private property. We're going to respect the private property. Or in the Soviet Union, they didn't respect the private business, we're gonna respect and then at the end of the day as you said it's almost the same um so because again they don't they don't they don't believe and they deny uh, the individual uh liberties and when that starts to happen your 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 life could be in risk Actually, and i'm not i'm not exaggerating
2: i think we what we're seeing a bit in schools here related to a lot of um critical ethnic studies or just critical pedagogy in general in K-12 education is tying things like private property ownership and capitalism and even liberalism to something like white supremacy. So those are things to be defeated. Um, we've seen you know, teacher trainings that say explicitly that private property ownership, um, religion, like believing in belief in God, uh, capitalism, and and liberalism are white supremacist ideologies. So, with knowing that that's happening, and these are teacher trainings, you know, provided to teachers all across the United States and public school districts that they're going on right now. What do you think would need to happen to to kind of wake people up to, to reject that?
1: Well, I think it's very important. And 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 thank you for for bringing uh, bringing the discussion. Uh, the, the issue of education because I remember that one of my first uh, protests that I participated in, and it was like 16 years old only was because Chavez was promoting a law to uh basically um reform uh the education system in in Venezuela that
2: sounds and familiar. even though
1: yeah and even though now you know 20 I mean that happened I think if I'm not wrong 2001, and well, 22 years after, many things have happened, of course. But in that moment, I have to say that uh, that we were able to stop that. Uh, in the longer game, they they have changed uh, systematically the education system, especially especially I have to say on the primary and the high school. The university is another is another uh, discussion, uh, but if there is an area where and now I'm going to talk about general education, but it was an area that the regime in Venezuela found, a, a, you know, people organize and 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 challenges and challenges to make reforms and put the hand was on the education because teachers professors, uh, the community of, 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 of parents, and of course the students, they organized very well because we felt, and I could say it was part of, we felt that the most probably important thing for us it was the education uh, was threatened. Uh, but what, what Chávez did is, okay, I cannot go against them, they started to create like a parallel education system. Mm-hmm. So he created his own university. So for example, he created what is, there is no the Bolivarian university. Mm-hmm. It didn't exist because before Chavez. It's like, imagine that you create like a socialist university, right? Um, I was reading the other day, for, for, for example, that China created a, a, a university in Tanzania, right? Mm-hmm. Where basically they are, uh, they are teaching, you know, the, the state and the party together, right? And uh, That's the type of education that the people who are going to the university will receive. So that's something very dangerous for a society. Um, and the best way to stop is to organize the students, organize the teachers, the professors, be outspoken, uh, call for rallies, do things at Congress. Do things at the White House. Uh, use technology uh, uh, to to promote initiative because uh, the education has to be independent, has to be universal. You know, uh, you, you 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 can have. They can they can they can maybe you know teach you like uh, read what happened in in Cuba and the and the Cuban Revolution. What happened? But also you have to learn from all the things and then you you will have your own criteria what is very dangerous when when you use the education system as a tool for a doctrine right and to and to you know use the education system as a tool to have people thinking on the ideology that you want and and that's that's dangerous uh that's that's very dangerous uh and this is something that i want to say first time publicly but um I just finished um, a master's at Johns Hopkins University. Um, it was a mid-career. So there's this type of program that they ask you that you need to add like seven, 10 years of experience. But even though I studied with people contemporary of, with me, I took some courses which I have students where they were young, way younger than me. I had a great friends from the US and other parts of the world that are 24, 25, 27, so many uh, smart students. Uh, but one of the things that I really learned the most it was that some I would not say everyone, but some students uh, uh, from from the U.S. they told me that they 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 felt, for example, ashamed on the country that they 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 lived right because of some mistakes that they that the the U.S. probably did on 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 foreign policy. And it was interesting to listen to them, and I always told them, you know, what is important is that, you know, learn what you have to learn, but don't, uh, you know, it, it reject any type of uh, indoctrination uh, at, at any level of education, right? Um, and and so yes, I mean, of course, university is one thing. I don't, I don't think the university, you know. Uh, the, 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 you, you, when the when the, the, the when the education reforms start to happen, you go from from the scratch. You go from from at, at least when the experience of Venezuela, Cuba. You go to you know elementary, uh, primary, high school. That's when you try to 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 make important reforms, and that and that and that's very very dangerous. But at the same time, if you organize, I'm sorry again, so I'm talking too much. If you organize the, the the community, because you need to organize students, the parents. Etc. Well, those type of reforms could be uh, could be stopped, um, and 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 you can have maybe a a proposal that could encourage. So yeah,
2: no, that's it's interesting. I think that it, I've seen kind of two things. One, and you're right. Like the there's a different conversation to be had with universities that I don't think I want to even get into this time, but. Uh, except for the schools of education seem to already or many of them, obviously, at the at universities where teachers go to learn to be teachers, seem to already be kind of captured by um radical socialist ideology. and then they're bringing that to the k twelve level through teacher training and curriculum and and um and workshops with parents. And there's a a the workshop coming up, actually, I think it's tonight. Um, Hold on, I'm going to find the title. Oh, Lenin and his time and ours. And it's a discussion on what we can learn from Lenin for today's struggles. So there's kind of this quasi worship of these Marxist communist socialist leaders of times past and some current um, happening where, where the idea is that we should not just learn from them, kind of emulate them in order to solve our our problems. And so kids are already in the U.S. being exposed to this, learning it, being indoctrinated with it, whatever you want to call it, because I think because um, many teachers have also. And I, I think that that's unfortunate because with our public school system, as imperfect as it is, I don't think that there's a system that exists in the United States that reaches as many people is our k-12 public school system so in order to turn a generation against the united states where they get to college and they start feeling ashamed of their country or think that they need to look at things like or people like lenin in order to improve things i mean the the, kind of the best way to to capture that that generation is through the k-12 public school systems and i worry that it's already happening
1: it is worry yes If it's not happening is it's as i said i mean there's there's the the tool that uh, communists have uh, used uh, historically um, to promote its doctrine, their doctrine is through education, and and as I said, and the the younger for them, the better, right? So it will not start at that, at the university level. So.
0: David, do yeah. you? I've, I've heard a lot of stories from people from various, you know, communist or socialist regimes, and they always said it wouldn't happen here. And what I heard you say earlier in Venezuela, you said, you know, in the mid 20th century, I mean, it was one of the most prosperous, you know, vibrant democracies. And so I'm assuming at that time people were you know saying that this would never happen here. Is there something in particular that you think happened that people just weren't looking out for that really kind of made this switch to what we're seeing now in Venezuela.
1: If I understood uh, the the question properly, you you mean there wasn't like an event that uh, happened in Venezuela that says like the, 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 it was a change.
0: Yeah, an event or something like, like what we're worried about in the United States is people saying, of course, as a democracy, we'll never really become socialist or we'll never become communist. and But we see these little things seeping in, like we were just talking about, seeping into our education system that eventually are indoctrinating and then people grow up thinking that this is okay or this is the way to be and i think so many people right now in the united states just say i mean we would never become we're, we're a democracy we're, we're we would never become communists or socialists or whatnot and i what my fear is people who do not know stories like yours from venezuela or stories of other witnesses from the voc the victims of communism uh, museum like Channy Lau, that they don't see that these countries also were
2: prosperous.
0: operating prosperous. And then all of a sudden yeah. something happened. Well, I, I don't know, it might not have been, actually the, the question, it might not have been all of a sudden, maybe it is something like what we're seeing in the United States where it was just this kind of slow march through the institutions, if you will. But what do you think in Venezuela captured uh, the 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 population to the extent that it really did transition from a vibrant democracy to what we're seeing now as a you know very, broken socialist order?
1: Well, that's a very, very, very good question. Um, So we had our problems even. uh, So I would say that we we had a very prosperous, we we had a democracy for 40 years in Venezuela. The first 20 were the honeymoon. Uh, The second 20, we had some problems. Uh, Like for example, more people started to leave in uh, in 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 poverty, um, inflation, devaluation. Uh, also, the country started to be, especially in the nineteen nineties, uh, uh, not 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 completely safe. People started to be victims of violence, of, of like you know, homicide, kidnapping. Uh. Um, then, in nineteen ninety two, Chavez led two coup d'état, uh, both failed. Both failed, and democracy was able to to maintain, uh, to 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 be maintained. But uh, but those two, the cap, those those two, those two coup d'état were uh, were very impactful in the society, and so many so many people wrongly started to see Chavez as a as a guy that could could solve the problems that we were suffering, but we were a democracy. I mean, and and there's no no perfect system. Uh, Some people say that uh, democracy is the least bad uh, system, but it is is what it is, right? So, and then some communists in Venezuela, uh, after Chávez was released from jail, which was a mistake by the way, because he was detained after leading to coup d'etat and the president who came after after, after the one who suffered the coup d'etat, released him from jail. And some communist with a lot of experience convinced Chavez to, to and, and told him, don't uh, I, I get power through arms, get it through elections. And that's one of the biggest lessons that we have had from Venezuela, when democracy is used to destroy democracy, Mm -hmm. right? So democratic tools were used by Chavez, free and fair elections, free media, you know, uh, independent branches, uh, political parties who were completely legal. He founded his own political party. And he used all those those democratic tools to conquer power. And in power, he destroyed democracy. Of course, this is not something new. Uh, Hitler did it in the 1930s. Let's remember that Hitler was elected. Um, But I think that that what Chavez uh, did in in modern times is that uh, he showed to other extreme left-wing Leaders that we can we we can get we can get power through an election through democratic tools and no using the arms. So, so there were in America, in Latin America, there's a there is a very long uh, p- period on different countries that there are being extreme left uh, armed groups, basically the guerrillas. Uh, and and they were close to Chavez. So Chavez said said to many of those groups or people close to the groups, like, why don't you uh, uh, run for president and try to get the votes instead of using the arms? And, well, it has happened in some of countries in Latin America. We're seeing another dictatorship, for example, in Nicaragua with, with Ortega. And, of course, well, Cuba has been the only dictatorship for more than 60 years, but they don't have ele- they haven't ever had elections. So so that was an important event. But also like to remark Jennifer that um, and this is something that uh, applies I think for 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 every country. In Venezuela, the political parties that led uh, those years those decades of democracy did de- did not renew their leadership. They didn't they didn't provide opportunities for young leaders. To refresh the ideas, to refresh the discussion, to have a young uh, leaders, for example, running for Congress or running for governors or mayors, so we had in the nineteen nineties the same presidents that we had in the nineteen seventies. So people, you know, got fed up of having the same leaders. Uh, there was no opportunity to to renew those political parties, to refresh those political parties. Uh, you know, the president that that came before Chavez was more than eighty years old. Uh so so that's when the system starts to crack, right? Is that well, something new, very very drastically needs to to come up because you don't so 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 people who do politics, and I think that applied for any 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 part of the world, especially in democracies, there is a moment that you need to start to provide the opportunity and the condition for young leaders to be at the stage, to be at the center stage, right? Because I think, and I am a politician, I am a public servant, and I would love if things change in my country to go back and be part of the transition and be part of the rebuilding. That's my dream. And I don't know what life will have for me but I will run. I would love to run for again for office as I did for mayor. Many, maybe other, maybe other uh, responsibility. I don't know. But I think that politicians sometimes need to, like a doctor or like an athlete. You know, this is this is it. You know, I retire. I am not. I'm not. I'm not any. I you know, I'm not running uh, anymore. I I I I will start. You know, my a foundation that I I will promote. These values, and and I and I will do capacity building for young leaders, uh, in my country to uh, to to be public servant and to defend democratic values, right? So that that hurts us a lot. That that really really hurt a lot. That in Venezuela, many young leaders during the 1980s, specifically in the 1990s, were um, you know, were were stopped to have more responsibilities. And people saw, like, well, this guy, Chavez, will change uh, everything, right? And now you see the tragedy. You see so many people who have fled the country, those almost 8 million. Maybe in some moment they supported Chavez. 10 or 12 years ago they say, well, and not, not anymore. They, now they hate all of that, Right. So yes, I mean, there's a lot to do on on provide opportunities to to next generations. Uh, Winston Churchill used to say that uh, a great statement doesn't think on the next election, but on the next generation. And I think uh, we need we need to have that uh, present uh, uh, all the time.
2: That's a very timely comment. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a, a very <laughs> timely conversation. I think that. Um, that, that a lot of people here in the US at least have been having in political circles for you know both of the major parties and some of the the minor
1: parties. Yes. I I have read a little bit. I, I don't get involved in, in domestic politics here in the, in the US, but uh but obviously I being here in six years, especially in DC, is it is impossible not to uh you know get in some discussions and and, and Read the news, follow the social media, uh, and watch the um, yes, and I and I think uh, the U.S. is in a in a. Um, the only thing that i want to say about you know the the U.S. and I've been I had the opportunity before my exile started uh, uh, coming. I came to this country many times for um, a, a work, for for education, for a program that I did at Georgetown. When I finish uh, college in Venezuela, uh, and also for tourism, and I have never ever seen the U.S. as polarized as it has been during during this time. It's, it, it is really, it, it, it really it is striking, and I, I say this with due respect because, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, I'm so grateful with this country. It has opened its doors for this guy who was forced to flee its country, and I have come here. And, and I have been able to work, and I have been able to you know get integrated to this society, and I have made great friends from this country, and I admire so many things that the US uh, has and represents. But it's polarized, and and education plays a crucial crucial factor to depolarize, because from from polarization it is difficult to get something uh, good, uh, and I. I can tell you, I mean, now Venezuela is not a polarized. Now it's a country that everyone hates Maduro. Uh, everyone. I mean, from 9 out of 10, you know, wants Maduro out. But we used to be a country for 15 years, probably a bit more, that was deeply, deeply, deeply polarized. And that, uh, that harms a lot of the society when you start to see families that they don't speak brothers that didn't speak between all because there are some sensitive topics and the, and then they are in, and that topic comes to in a dinner, the dinner is over or they have an argument. I mean uh, and I think uh, that's I, I, I was not aware when I came to this country on this on that polarization and hopefully you can you can be above of that I, 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 I could say and, 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 I, and, and, and there's nothing worse in politics and in general, and I I think I'll say that hopefully we will say the right word in English, that when your actions come from in Spanish is resentimiento from resentment, resentment, that's when actions come from that, uh, eh, nothing, nothing good will happen either. Eh, So I see a bit of resentment in in some, you know, people and, and, and everything. And, and I have always, I mean, I have, Talked that with my colleagues when I when I was at the university here and friends. I mean, yes, I mean, there's no perfect country, there's no perfect system, but the US is a light of democracy in the world, not only for US citizens in the world, right? And, and we're seeing it here with 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 the, the Russians' invasion of Ukraine. I mean, if they use if the, if the US has not supported um, Ukraine as the way they have done it, probably. Probably Russia been already taken Kiev, right? So, so um, it is a light for for democracy. It is a light on institutions as well, on solid institutions. I mean, this country has had democracy since days one of its independence. That's amazing, and 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 the and the role of the constitution and the rule of law. So, don't take. I always take to my 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 U.S. friends or some type of interviews that I have. Well, I think this is the first time that I've been speaking as open as that regarding the U.S., but with friends that I have made, don't take freedom for granted, don't take rule of law for granted, don't take democracy for granted. That's my advice. I mean, you don't have what you, you don't know what you have until you, you don't have it anymore.
0: And with regards to polarization, I think that's one of the big concerns too, although a lot of our work isn't specifically on, on politics, but we see some of the the pedagogy that's being pushed in in our k-12 education is polarizing and so it's 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 seeped from you know from culture into politics and and back from politics into culture and and i don't know i think one of the things that we're working on you we're talking about ethnic studies and it, it a lot of the programs that we are having problems with use the word inclusive in ethnic studies and and in actuality, and our other podcasts talk about that, that it's anything but inclusive. And I think it's it's incredibly polarizing. And that's one of the things that we are trying to push for is a truly inclusive, democratic and diverse ethnic studies program, or even just uh, more history. Brandon and I have talked about this before. Instead of ethnic studies, just more history. And history, yeah. including that. Not only that, but I think here's another thing. I'm kind of going off a little bit on a on a tangent here, but this is one of the problems with. And I love speaking with people like you, and with my background studying in China, is more history, not just in the United States of Black American history or you know Latino American history, but more history of the world, more history of of places like Venezuela and Cuba, in China, so that we can educate on these different systems and really do a compare and contrast, which I don't think is something that's happening very often in our education system.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that, unfortunately, part of one of the main issues is, at least in K-12 education, is the idea on what the schools are there for is kind of getting lost and muddled and not only i obviously educating kids and getting giving them basic skills in literacy and in mathematics and and the like but also in building civil society and i maybe that's one of the reasons we're seeing an incre- increase in polarization is that whole idea of of public schools being a system to build common civic society in the united states is kind of being missed there is a bright light though, Brandy. Would you agree? i there's several
0: organizations, and you know I just came back from a, a meeting in Florida that are pushing more civics. I, I think civics has been lost. And to the extent that we can uh bring civics back in and 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 educate on what our responsibilities are is a positive trend.
2: I agree.
1: Yes. Um and and it, yes, and, and this, as I said, I mean this this uh this this, this systems. Always try to use. Uh, I mean, the education is, and students are the best clients for for, for try to promote these uh, these ideologies and and, and these I, these ideas. Um, uh, and and it happened to us in, in Venezuela, as I said, um, since two thousand one. And and but but it's, it, it is dangerous if that type of ideas get to power. Because then if you, don't, if you cannot do it through legal ways, you try to do it as, as the hard way, right? Um, so, and one of the things that always, these, I, I, I wanted to mention also that one of the things that these type of systems like communism uh, do is to rewrite history, rewrite history. Uh, that's one of the most uh, uh, complicated things that we have. We have Venezuela, you know. Chavez always promoted, um, uh, you know, a, a, re- a, re- a revision of of our history. And I said when we had the streaming, what even he did with the with our founding father, with Simón Bolívar. I think I, I shared that. I think in the in the, in the live stream it was. Crazy that his uh, basically his Tom Tom was uh, Sarkov was was open and he was the, 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 can you imagine that I mean the, the body of our liberator Simon Bolivar was exhumated. So in that case and now we have a new whole a new picture of the libertador of, of 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 Simon Bolivar. So imagine that that happens here in you see that someone comes and say, okay, let's let us exhumate a uh, George Washington's uh, body. To see what' what's, to see what really happened to him and to see if, if he really died for for XBA and y X and then we're gonna digitalize his body again and his face and now hey George Washington was not like we always saw him now he he has the, the hair this color and not that color and his skin was this color and not this color and his size what and that's that's insane but that happened in Venezuela that happened in Venezuela so so that's the type of perversity that could have come on this wow. type of system rewrite history even on on, on the most uh, sacred uh, uh, in this case p- people that's as the founding father right yeah
2: probably I I will ask now publicly to have you come on again, because I wanna talk about this more, because I think we're actually seeing that in, in certain um, curricula that's being pushed is a rewriting of the founding of the country, a rewriting of of what the founders stood for and what's happened. And that's actually been, I, I believe, one of the largest partisan um, and ideological divides that we're seeing in education right now is that uh, where you have two extreme sides trying to rewrite um, Rewrite the history of of our country.
1: Yes, I, I have to be careful with that. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, and yeah. I'll just say, too, when we see and maybe this is different in Venezuela, but a lot of times we see these revolutions being led by like in China during the Cultural Revolution, being led by our youth. And so this indoctrination really does, it, it matters that it starts in our school because we've seen the youth being the ones who lead these revolu- late revolutions. And I think this is the, you know, when we do, when we look right now at some of the polls on how many people think that communism or socialism is okay. I mean, it's really the most, the people who, the concentration of the people who are saying this are our younger generations. And so, it matters what we're teaching in in, in education. Not that we it should be critical it. of, like like we've already said, democracy is is absolutely imperfect. Imper- I think we should teach being critical, but I, I think we're not even doing that. We're just teaching. We're teaching. We're indoctrinating. We're not. There's not a critical critical thinking happening. Yeah,
1: indoctrination is not free education. Uh, yeah, or is it? Yeah, free. No, no I mean, yeah, yeah. Right exactly
0: yeah I like that that's what, indoctrination is not free education
1: yeah, yeah there's exactly. nothing
0: free about that
1: <laughs> there's no exactly yeah this it is, is it is
0: all right so we'll have you on again then as Brandy said
1: <laughs> no I would love to I mean this is and I learned and I learned so much for from 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 you and um, and also what is what is going on in in, in the U.S. But um, we have a saying in Spanish, I don't know if it applies for English, but uh when there are things that you know that are bad or well, at least you have people who have gone through it through it and and have experienced, and I can tell you from the field that this is what it is, and there are others that have not gone through it, but they are like filtering, you say, don't play with fire because you're gonna get burned, so yes. I, hopefully the u s uh, stops playing with with, with fire, especially on education and and that types of thing, uh, indoctrination, because nothing nothing good comes uh, from it. Um, and I think you know this. You know, of course, there are many things to many. I not many, but there are things to improve in this country, like many others in the world. Of course, I think, um, as I said, I will not get involved in in domestic. Issues, but obviously there are things that could get improved in the in the US, but not none of them are justified for suppressing democracy, or for uh, yeah, for uh, eliminating democracy, or, or, or eliminating the solid institutions that that, that you have, or eliminating the, the the human rights. I mean, that's because that's what happens. With uh, with that type of idea, sometimes uh, you, you know that they 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 propose a radical uh, change, and that radical change at the end of the day is suppress democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, so there are many things in the U.S. that are that are great, that are important, that are inspiration for 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 uh, many people uh, uh, in the world, and those values have to be. Uh, kept um and, and i have and i have there is one very interesting discussion that i had in university and i said well there are mistakes that the u.s has committed maybe in in the you know in the past on foreign affairs or whatever and i said well that's the cost of leadership that's the cost of leadership when you lead you do things or you you try to do things great where people are happy but also the cost of leadership is that you fail and your failures are more exposed than the one who doesn't lead Uh, i mean i had it as a tiny example when i was mayor when i was mayor and i had to leave a district and i could say were great things about reducing kidnapping as i said at the beginning of the podcast Um, but there were moments that we we had violence in our our district and i had to go and and talk to my citizens and say things are not good and people were not happy and people were criticizing me but what people couldn't say i I was not transparent what was not promoting democracy well, I was not uh, you know uh, uh, being uh, clear or, or, or talking face to face with 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 people affected in that in that moment for for crime. so you know that's the that's the cost of leadership that you can that you can fail but that doesn't mean that, that you're always wrong or that you have to feel a, a shame or nothing I mean, you learn from it and you and then you you improve so yeah and the education I think plays a a crucial role uh, uh, if you start having an that everything that the U.S. has done, you know, is bad or or, 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 or we, we, uh, uh, you know, I think when you start losing your, your, your essence here, right? So, and the bad, and the bad system of the world, they laugh at it, you know, this is, they, they see that as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So the, the Russians of the world, the Irans of this world, the Venezuelas, I mean, the Maduros, because not the population of those countries, but the, the dictators of those say, okay, this is the moment that we can, a, advance more aggressively. Yeah. Thank
2: you. um thanks Dave. I just want to thank you so much for sharing with us and speaking with us, and I I do want to have a, another conversation with you.
1: Oh, thanks for inviting. Hopefully, my English was uh, good enough to 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 uh, my ideas get understood. But um, thanks for inviting, and it was a pleasure, and, and more than happy to, to be again in this podcast.